You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. Just who is the God of the Bible? Have you ever thought about that question? Well, this speaker, Tom Cross, leads us in this subject in this episode and he takes us through the scriptures to show who God is and what his character is and where he dwells. He continues to explain that God's desire is for us to believe in him and to strive to develop his character in ourselves because in these things is eternal life found. We as Christadelphians believe the whole Bible was written by God. The Bible, the book that many of you have in front of you, is no ordinary book, but it is rather God's divine message to his creation. And from this understanding, we then seek to learn what we can about God and his plan and his purpose. The Bible tells us clearly that this was the case. It's in Paul's second letter to Timothy we read, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, means it was breathed out by God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. The Bible tells us, therefore, that we need to use it to instruct us on how we should live our lives. We believe that God used the prophets to be the vehicle for his message. It was not their words that were being spoken, but it was God's words that were put into their mouths. The prophets, often risking their own lives, faithfully brought God's message to his creation. But we now are able to read about these things, which are recorded for us in the Bible. As it says in 2 Peter in chapter 1, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Scripture tells us of Jeremiah, that the word of God was in the prophet's heart like a burning fire. That's chapter 20 and verse 9. Therefore, the Christadelphians believe every word recorded in the Holy Scriptures and aim to understand its message through carefully reading it. We read in Christ's prayer to John, maybe turn there, to the Gospel of John and chapter 17. And we read here of the importance of this very subject. John 17, verse 1, Father, this is Christ speaking to God, the hour is come, glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. This is life eternal, to know God. The way we can know about God is through reading our Bibles. And therefore today, I hope to make clear this biblical teaching on there being one God. And we'll see that the modern church's understanding of this subject is not taught in scripture. So we'll answer three 
fairly simple questions this evening. The first one is, who is God? Secondly, where is God? And finally, how is God relevant to us? So who is God? Let us begin our thoughts then on this question in Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. Of course, this is at the very start of God's message to us and where the word God is first used. So reading verse 1, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. God created the world, the heavens and the earth. That is the Bible's claim. And for a Bible believer, that's what we would believe. The Bible is the foundation of our faith. It begins with us accepting the Bible, being God's message. And then it's a logical step to see that it was God who created all that is around us. We go on through the rest of the chapter in Genesis to read exactly the process that God took in creating the heavens, the earth, and establishing many biblical themes and principles that will appear countless times in the subsequent books of our Bibles. Reading on, we have an example of this, which we'll hardly scratch the surface of this evening. Verse 2. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the spirit, the ruach, is the Greek word, of God, moved upon the face of the waters. You'll probably be aware that our Old Testament was first written in Hebrew. So going back and seeing the words that God chose often helps our understanding. The word here in verse 2, as we've pointed out, is this Hebrew word, ruach. It has the idea of wind or by resemblance a breath. We've already come across this theme in scripture this evening. It was that word that we saw in 2 Timothy, written, of course, in Greek. God's word was breathed out. That is God's power. That means that uh, the power by which he created the earth, the means by which the Bible was caused to be written, and the means by which we as Christadelphians have a hope in life after death. The Bible is consistent throughout its message that God is the creator. We can see this in our New Testament scriptures. If you just turn over to the book of Acts, the Apostles, chapter 14. In this chapter, in Acts 14, Paul is in Lystra during his first missionary journey. They heal a man who could not walk. And the priests and the people wanted to offer sacrifices to Paul and to Barnabas. So picking up in verse 14, which when the apostles, Paul and Barnabas, heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you, and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in time past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not themselves without witness, and that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. God didn't just make everything that we see around us, but he has the power to control the world around us. He gave the rain from heaven. 
He is all-powerful. But we understand more about who God is when we read of what Moses uh, saw when he was visited by an angel of God. So turn back, if you would, to Exodus, the second book of the Bible, in chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, reading verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. God goes on to converse with Moses through this angel and reveals more about who he is. Just pick up the record in verse 14, Exodus 3, verse 14. And God said to Moses, I am that I am. He said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord, God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. Here we have God's name revealed. The God of the Bible has a name. And sadly, the authorised translation from which I'm reading this evening uh, is not the best translation of this phrase, I am that I am. And you might have a note in your margin to suggest an alternative translation, which I'd suggest is a far better translation. In my margin, at least, it reads, I will be who I will be. And this is because the Hebrew phrase has a plurality and a future aspect. Notice, however, in verse 15, when God tells Moses to go and tell the children of Israel about his name, he says, the Lord, God of your fathers. And where you have this word Lord in capitals, that is the Hebrew word Yahweh. And it means he who will be. Because, of course, God is being referred to in the third person. God isn't speaking. And so amazingly, all the way back in Exodus, we have this idea that God will be revealed. He will be. He will be revealed in a multiplicity of beings. This is the idea we call God manifestation. God being expressly revealed in this way. We read later in Exodus another revelation that God makes to Moses. It's in Exodus in chapter 34, if you'd turn on there. Exodus 34, reading verse 5. And the Lord descended in, a, in the cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of the Lord, that name Yahweh. And Yahweh passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children, and to the third and to the fourth generation. This is who God is. 
He is merciful. He is gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. Each of these qualities of God are seen so many times in our Bibles. But the point I simply want to make here is that if God is going to be made manifest in lots of people in the future, this is a picture of what that will look like. Can we imagine a world full of these values? The world we live in today is full of cruelty, impatience, wickedness, the complete opposite of God. Mankind cannot demonstrate these qualities consistently, but the hope of the Bible is all about these good values, a hope where God's character will be made manifest. Moving on slightly, I just want to note this aspect of God being a father, which we've already seen in our title and in the reading that we've had. God reveals himself to us as the father. He is the father of all. This is a biblical theme that runs all the way through our Bibles. It perfectly describes who God is. Let's just begin this theme still in our Old Testament into what God reveals himself to his people, Israel. Just turn on, if you would, to Deuteronomy and chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, that's Yahweh, our God, is one Lord. And this is backed up in our New Testament scriptures with the words of Jesus, who appears to quote these words in Deuteronomy chapter 6, in Mark 12. So there's no need to turn to Mark 12. Uh, our context is that of an interested scribe. We read in Mark 12 these words. And one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. The scribe responds in verse 32, a little bit later. The scribe said unto him, <clears throat> Well, master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. That was the scribe's understanding, that there is one God. Of course, this is so different to the understanding of modern churches, which preach a, t a trinity where God is seen in three persons and in one. However, we will continue to see that this understanding doesn't fit consistently the Bible message. We've already said that God reveals himself as a father, and we see this many times in our Bibles. Uh, in, yeah, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we read, as concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. God is one. God is the Father. We notice here in Corinthians that Jesus is a very separate person 
He's linked to God, but he is separate. There is one Lord Jesus Christ. The verse from our title this evening taken from Ephesians support this. There is one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. In addition, uh, this is consistent with the Old Testament. We see a theme of the Father coming through here as well. In Isaiah 44, sorry, 64, we read Isaiah 64, verse 8, But now, O Lord, thou art our Father. We are the clay, and thou art potter, and we are all are the work of thy hand. This reveals to us this aspect of God's character, that, that of his care towards us, that he is like a potter. He is working with us as clay. A psalm brings this thought together beautifully, I'd suggest. Turn, if you would, to the Psalms. Psalm 103, verse 11. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. It is in God's character to show pity on us. He cares for every one of us, similar to that of the love and the care of a father towards his children. And so to summarise that first question, who is God? What we've seen is that he is the creator of the heavens and of the earth, that he created these by his undefinable power. God revealed himself to man as the creator who has a name, Yahweh. And in this name is a promise of a future revelation where he will be. We have also considered that God is the father He's a father to all through his perfect character, which we've briefly considered. So next, I want to consider that question, where is God? And to answer this question, could you turn into the New Testament to the first of Paul's epistles to Timothy? 1 Timothy chapter 6, <clears throat> verse 15. Which in his times he shall show who speaking of God, is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honour and power everlasting. Amen. From this verse we clearly read that there is one being who only has immortality, he dwells in a place which no man can approach unto. We just can't get physically near to God. And further to this, we read that no man has seen God. That is how powerful God is. We read that the Bible tells us that God dwells in heaven. For example, in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6 records, After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Another example we find in the Old Testament in the Psalms. Psalm 123 tells us, Unto thee lift I up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. Now where the heavens are, we do not know. We read in Acts 17, 
Acts 17. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. So no man can approach unto where God dwells. He cannot be contained in a temple made by humans. However, the Bible says that God is God's dwelling place exists. It is somewhere. It's somewhere in space, somewhere our mortal, limited understanding cannot comprehend. He is the power and he is the source of immortality. This brings us on to consider another aspect of God's presence. And we read this in the Psalms in Psalm 139. Psalm 139, reading verse 7. Psalm 139, verse 7. Whither shall I go from thy God's spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, and the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. The God of the Bible is present everywhere by his Spirit. This, of course, is of great comfort to us as a Bible believer, but it also brings with it an accountability because God sees and knows what we do. Turn back to Psalm 44. Verse 21 reads, Psalm 44, verse 21. Shall not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. In God's almighty power, he is able to know what we do. But even more than that, he's able to know the secrets of our hearts, the things that we think. And this is confirmed to us in the Proverbs. Proverbs 15 tells us, The eyes of Yahweh are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. So to summarise this question, where is God? God dwells in heaven, which no man can approach unto, somewhere in space. He does not have his dwelling place on earth, yet by his power he is able to be present in the world we see around us. God sees all things that, that we do, all things that we say, and he knows everything that we think. We cannot hide from God. We read in Jeremiah chapter 23, Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord. So our last question was, how is God relevant to us? Brings us now to consider how all that we have looked at has any relevance to us. Remember that passage that we turned to first in John, that we considered at the beginning of our thoughts. It said, Father, the hour is come, 
glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. It is essential to salvation, to eternal life, that we know God, and that we know his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have seen that God is an all-powerful God, dwelling in heaven, yet present all around us, that God has a name, Yahweh, and has, in that name, revealed to Israel that there is a hope. The end of Romans and chapter 16 ends this way, To God only, wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. God's glory is through Jesus. He is the one God who brought and has brought salvation, who will be. And it's through Jesus that that purpose can be realised. The subject of Jesus is the next step to consider, but we don't plan to go through this this evening. So if all these things are true, what does God want us to do? Matthew, sorry, Mark 16 records for us, And he saith, Jesus, saith unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel, the good news, to every creature. He that believeth and is baptised shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. We see, therefore, the Bible teaches there is a need to, one, believe. We need to know God. We need to know what is written about God in the Bible. And we need to be baptised. That's the complete immersion in water, as taught elsewhere in Scripture. We read in the Gospel of John these words. Perhaps turn there, if you would, back to John in chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus is God's Son. God, his Father, gave his only begotten Son so that we might have a hope. Turn forwards, if you would, to 1st of Corinthians in chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, which speaks so well about the resurrection of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. By Adam came death. For as in Adam all die. Adam was the first man from which we have all descended. We are born into the family of Adam, and therefore we die because we are human. However, by Christ, the resurrection of the dead was made possible. All those in Christ, 
Notice the words in 1 Corinthians 15. All those in Christ, that means baptised into the name of Christ. Those in Christ who die don't remain dead. The Bible goes on to explain that Jesus Christ will return back to this earth and will judge the world, whether men believe and have been baptised into Christ. This is God's plan. I want you to turn to, for our last passage this evening, to 2 Corinthians and chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19. To wit that God was in Christ means that God was working his purpose through Christ. God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the world of reconciliation. God gave his only begotten son, that through his sacrifice, man might be able to be brought back to God. What a wonderful place the kingdom of God will be. A place where everyone dwells together safely, truly at peace. No sin, no death will be there. For Christ has destroyed death itself. And all will be to the glory of God. So to summarise that last question, God is calling us. His hand is outstretched toward us. Do we believe the Bible? If we do, we should be baptised. We can, by God's grace, enter into eternal life, into his eternal kingdom on this earth when Jesus returns. And the world will be at peace and God will be all and in all. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.